From the hills of central New York and the heart of the Finger Lakes, this is Frankly Speaking. I'm your host, Frank Rossi. My guest on this episode is Paul Rosh, the president of Golf Water, a full-service golf irrigation design and consulting firm based in Connecticut that expertly designs smart water management and application solutions. Paul's a native Northeast turf professional starting his career in the mid-1980s at UMass and several assistant superintendent roles in Connecticut before overseeing an irrigation installation and the rest is history. Paul and I met when he ran the irrigation division at SV Moffitt based in Rochester, New York and continued to collaborate on education programs throughout New York State. He spent a stint in his career as national specification and then national sales manager for major irrigation companies. Getting the most out of your water use often requires applications of products that enhance water penetration and improve and protect plant roots. These types of applications require precision in timing, rate, and location, and that's where frost ink spray technology products come in. Frost has the latest technology available for GPS-guided applications, drone applications, and autonomous applications. Our partners at Frost are about making your spray day a better day. Visit them at frostserve.com. That's frost, S-E-R-V, dot com. All right, Paul, welcome to Frankly Speaking. It's so great to have you here. I've been doing a little series on water. I had Mike Huck a couple episodes ago, and we're going to have another episode with Chase Straw, who's doing some high-tech stuff uh, in Texas that you you might be aware of as well. But listen, Paul, I know you, as we were just talking offline a long time, pal, and, and, you know, you've seen it all, right? Growing up in Connecticut, going to UMass, working on golf courses, and then getting into the irrigation business at the regional level, the national level, and now in your own business, right? You've seen a lot. I want to start with something simple. (laughs) Have you seen more money being invested back into irrigation in the last couple of years since COVID because of the money now coming back into golf? All these years, you know, it's a spattering of build here, build there, build here, build there. Are we starting to see some reinvestment in irrigation systems? I certainly think so, Frank. And I think for a couple of reasons, you know, irrigation systems either rust out or they wear out. And that starts to happen right around year 17 to 23. And then when you start pushing beyond that, Frank, you know, they just get start to get long in the tooth. Components start to fail more and more, and consequently, a lot of the the boom that we saw in the 90s is certainly coming around right now. So, obviously, the pressure for water resources is getting worse and tougher on these guys. Yeah. You know, I know you well enough to know you've always been about precise water management, and of course, Mm -hmm. everybody aspires to precise water management. Mm -hmm. But are you seeing a greater precision for water management demand? And I guess that's a simple way. I'm I'm trying to get around to asking this question. It looks like we're putting more heads on golf courses than we used to. Mm -hmm. Are we doing that to use water more efficiently or does that allow us to use less water? Yeah, without a doubt, Frank, we use a lot less water. The efficiencies of tighter spacings are are really realized pretty quickly in terms of water use. The one thing I do see, though, however, is when people start to replace irrigation systems, they start to look at irrigating areas that they hadn't watered in the past. So typically, we see on a typical project, Frank, that the net result is the same amount of water is being used, but over a greater number of acres of property. Okay, so you're using the same amount of water on larger areas, Mm -hmm. and the total amount isn't going up. Okay, so... 
tighter spacings. Please tell me there's more sophisticated technology out there than just putting out more heads. In all your travels now, what are some of the things that improve the most? Is it the pump stations? Is it the pipe? Is it the nozzles? Is it the gears? Is it the solenoids? Or yeah. is it everything's gotten better? And I guess I'm just asking you for a standout. Yeah, sure. So most every component is improved over time. And through the 1990s to the early 2000s, we saw a lot of improvement in nozzle technology. And I think there's still room for more of that. We can get even better. But there was a big step between the 80s and the early 90s and in 2000. So there's a, there's a lot more efficiency in the newer sprinklers, Frank. And there's also, uh, in terms of technology, sprinklers that are full and part in one now. Um, before, you could either have a full circle sprinkler or a part circle sprinkler. And I see, to your point on water management, I see golf courses looking at maybe, let's just say, a three-row system where you have pretty much a center-row sprinkler head and then you have a head on either side of the fairway. And oftentimes, those fairway heads on the sides of the edges of the fairways can be turned apart circle if needed and help a golf course manage a, you know, a drought condition, for example, by not watering rough and just concentrating water on fairways. So, you know, that, that's one of the innovations that I've seen recently that, uh, that golf course superintendents are picking up on and, and using in their water management programs. And so those heads that now have everything in a big can on the top, I know one manufacturer <laughs> has uh-huh. the head with everything in the one place. Yes. You know, it seems to me, having dug up a few heads in my lifetime, probably <laughs> not as many as you, obviously, but, but having dug up a few heads, you know, my first question is, does that technology have any advantages to having it there? And number two, is it actually working or is it, you know, having its own problems, having the stuff up there like that? I think they call them infinity heads. Is that what they're not infinity heads? Yeah, it's a good sprinkler head yeah. and we've seen them on many projects and uh, they have a lot of capabilities to them. Those sprinklers have come a long way over the last few years, including those infinity heads and those full-on part circles in one. And I think we're going to see more and more technology available, perhaps at the sprinkler head in the future, in terms of being able to monitor things at a sprinkler head um, on the property, be it pressure or flow or rotation or something along those lines. All right. So I'm following along that there's a few technologies and maybe, you know, weather stations are getting more integrated and soil sensors, and we'll get to that stuff a little bit. But at the same time, Paul, I see pretty good systems, albeit in arid climates, right, where you can see all your mistakes. And the topography of the land and the wind present enormous challenges. And one of the things that I'd like to get your perspective on is it seems like that's a pretty common occurrence. It's very rare you get flat golf courses that aren't curved and all these odd shapes, right? So, and... There's also widely different topographical features, never mind likely differences in soil types, right? And we still design the system to cover the entire piece of land uniformly. Mm -hmm. Instead of maybe placing heads more strategically where you could use them differently. Am I crazy or do we really accomplish everything we need by just changing run times? I'm looking at Lots of misses, uh, you know, wind affecting that midsection of the nozzle throw, those kinds of details. How much are we really improving, Paul, when it seems like I look at these things and they brand new systems still struggle with the same things? Yeah. So 
You pick up some good points. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) I get get paid to do this. (laughs) So the biggest effect that you have on a golf course irrigation system today is the end user. The end user ultimately is saying, what am I going to do tonight? And he has control over that. The central control systems in the past, Frank, have not been very friendly to the end user. You know, they're just a tool to be able to turn heads on and off. But with the advent of iPads, you know, everyone's using a cellular phone now and having that tied to the control system, it's a lot easier to get site-specific in the field and dial in and make some of those environmental adjustments on your telephone that go back to the computer and change the computer. For example, slope. You might have a plant soil water requirement, but you've got a slope condition, and you can break up that runtime into multiple shorter cycles, Mm -hmm. which you can do right from your telephone. Mm -hmm. Same thing if you had a heavy clay, for example, you might want to do the same thing. You've got an area that has some, you know, uh, afternoon shade, and your uh, plant water requirement might be lower in that area. I see that a lot in back tees, for example, where they're tucking them into the woods these days. That's a great opportunity to just take that handheld iPad or telephone out, Frank, and make those adjustments, you know, so you can actually dial in the irrigation system. Okay, so back to my question. Should we still just be gridding out golf courses with all those heads? Or should head design be the where we put the head address what you're saying, not just the runtime? complicated question, really. First of all, you got to put the head in a position for success. you got to try to keep it off a slope. And, and I've actually seen some golf course architects and worked with the golf course architect where he actually helped us put in little plateaus in certain areas to help sprinklers be successful in putting greens, for example. Mm-hmm. We did that over at uh, Oak Hill with Jeff Corcoran and uh, Andrew Green, for example. Mm-hmm. But in many cases, the grid gives you an opportunity to duplicate conditions from one area to the other if you can grid. Now, many times you don't for various reasons. You know, I've seen some uh, golf courses that have pure sand approaches, for example, and the perk rates are significantly greater than the surrounding soils in the fairway and in the rough, Mm -hmm. and you would have to use part circles back-to-back so you can help manage those areas separately from the the heavy soil. Mm -hmm. So that's out of pattern, out of grid when you just start doing things like that. Some golf courses want us to be able to, you know, manage water into the roughs specifically and separately from the fairways. Again, with a meandering fairway, you know, and not being on a grid, you fall out of a grid immediately when that happens. But, you know, when you look out west, you'll see, you know, where water is very precious, you often see a grid-type spacing because of the uniformity. Yeah, and... Listen, I talked to Huck a little bit about this. You're an expert as well. When you say improvements in nozzle technology, Mm -hmm. is that going to help us with some of these topographical things and also wind issues? Are we getting better in designing nozzles that throw the water in a way that are a little bit more tolerant of some stiff winds? I believe so, Frank. We've done a lot of wind tests. We're testing for uniformity in wind at some windy sites on um, um, Long Island and actually out west as well on the coast. And we have found, and this is a personal experience, wind is so variable, as you know, so you can't make blanket statements about wind. You know, it's, it's variable speed, variable direction. Right. But when you use those full and park in one sprinklers, and this is just a personal preference, when you have all your nozzles, let's say your range, intermediate, and inside spreader nozzles on one side of the sprinkler, we typically find that that range nozzle helps cut the wind a little bit better. Mm. 
and blazes a trail, if you will, or creates a more calmer environment for your inside spreader nozzles. And we actually see it do pretty well in wind. Of course, the manufacturers today also have some, you know, lower angle options too to help fight the wind, and that's pretty successful as well. But the full-on part in one-type sprinklers, Frank, with all the nozzles on one side, seem to do a pretty decent job in the, in the wind conditions. Listen, Paul, I want to wrap up the first part of our chat today by talking to you a little bit about auditing, right? Because everything we're talking about, fundamentally, the rubber has to hit the road. Yeah. And going through turf school like you did back in the 80s, uh, you know, we learned the, you know, the single arm audit or the catch can where you disperse it in a grid. You know, yep. you have a, a few options there. But now with the advent of handheld soil moisture meters, I'm seeing more guys pay more attention to soil moisture uniformity rather than surface uniformity, again, to address potential topographical issues. Yeah. And sometimes that results in astounding reductions in distribution uniformity. Yeah. What, is, what has been your experience with that approach to auditing versus the catch can stuff? I love to see that, Frank. Uh, I just love to see the use of uh, soil moisture sensors for, uh, you know, measuring, you know, application uniformity off the surface. The straight answer on that is the best prediction of what's going to happen in the soil is what happens above the ground. So if you can put it down evenly above ground, you know, then it goes into the soil evenly. You know, the difficulty and greens, for good reason, get a lot of the focus uh, when it comes to irrigation. Mm -hmm. But greens are very, uh, some very unusual shapes. It's very hard to maintain a good geometry on a green. And in fact, almost impossible on some of these new modern greens that the architects are building. You have a lot of out of pattern heads or what I call rescue heads that you have to stick in there just to catch a knob on a green because you can't totally encompass it like we used to in the old days on a circular green. So those soil moisture meters, I think, are fantastic to get an idea of what's happening in some of those areas of a green that might not be receiving enough water, Frank. And I see them being integrated and being a bigger part of irrigation as we move forward. Making the leap from that machine, right, or from whatever's collecting the data into the software and making that as seamless as possible, I think, is going to be a huge help to golf course superintendents in the future. I'm with my old friend, Paul Rosh. He's the president of Golf Water. I'm Frank Rossi. This is Frankly Speaking, and we'll be right back after this message from our sponsors. Getting the most out of your water means getting it in and down into the soil profile. The inability to move water and products such as fertilizers and pesticides to the depths of the root zone is a critical concern for golf course superintendents. Dryject sand injection services increases infiltration and allows for deeper rooting and better drainage by top dressing, aerating, and amending in one pass. Contact your local Dryject service representative or visit dryject.com. All right, welcome back. I want to pick up on distribution uniformity. And on your website, uh, there's this great article that I've actually used in my class a few times when I talk about irrigation, and that is the understanding of distribution uniformity and irrigation efficiency, right? How are you using water efficiently? And as you said earlier, it's spreading it uniformly over the surface, right? I mean, ultimately, yep. we want the soil to wet uniformly, so it's a little bit of both. One of the things I hear is, oh, the sprinkler doesn't cover this area or it doesn't put enough water in this spot. I'm just going to increase the run time. And so, you know, you see run times at 125 percent, 
150% because yeah. to get an area that's, you know, really not getting hit. And of course, the consequence of that is, in simple terms, is you're likely overwatering an area, right? So yeah. let's start with distribution uniformity because that's where we left off. Can we compensate for poor distribution uniformity by running the heads longer? Not really. <laughs> Your wet areas are going to get wetter when you start increasing run times. A little can occur, Frank, and depending on the soil, yes, you can water to the dry area. But as you mentioned, you know, usually when you water to the dry area, the wet area gets wet. You know, unfortunately or fortunately, sprinklers do the same thing every single time mm-hmm. unless it's impacted by wind or something in the environment. So those wet areas just tend to get wetter and wetter as you fight to go after those dry areas, unless the sprinkler is applying water uniformly. And, you know, obviously, as we mentioned, one of the best ways to do that is to have good spacing, you know. And the right head, right? Spacing with the right head. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about irrigation efficiency. What do Mm -hmm. we mean when we say that? And how is that distinctly different from distribution uniformity? Well, I think efficiency, I think, is the overall picture. Not only the uniformity of the sprinkler, but there's a lot of superintendent or irrigation manager intervention, Frank, you know, based on those, you know, microclimates or wind conditions or exposures or slope or any of those environmental conditions that could affect how water is applied. So starting off with good water distribution and then just tuning it in and taking it to the next level, increasing your efficiency with the system, you know, they kind of go hand in hand. So how much of that is related to stuff other than the sprinklers? How much of it is the pumps and the valves and the circulatory system of the system that enables efficiencies as well? Good point. And, And of course, they all interact. The basic assumption is that the hydraulics and the hydraulic modeling has been done so that the sprinkler is going to begin with the adequate pressure and that flow management is built into the computer so the computer understands the hydraulic needs and setup of the irrigation system. So that's all given, but I mean, it, it does affect it, of course, obviously, but if, if it's programmed in the system, that should not really factor in greatly. It's important to be able to tell a six-inch pipe, for example, what that maximum flow is so the computer does not exceed that flow so you can ensure that you get adequate pressure to those sprinklers that that pipe serves. All right. You know, we've talked a bunch about a lot of different technology that's associated with irrigation systems. And I can remember, and I still feel this way, especially back east, not as much when I go west, but are we really using the technology in these systems to their full potential? I used to use the analogy, Paul, that we get these Ferrari systems and then we drive them like, I don't know, yeah. You and I would know like a Chevy yeah, Vega or we something. We keep them in first gear. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> right, right, that's right. Run them in first gear. So is that a fair assessment that we're still not using these systems to their full potential? And, and I guess the follow-up question is, what are some of those obstacles if we're not? Yes, without a doubt. People are keeping them in first gear by and large. Every once in a while, though, I run into a super user, and I, I love to see that where they have the system just really dialed in. And even with a new irrigation system, Frank, that takes a couple of years. You, you really need to relearn how your golf course accepts water and how it behaves and what your microclimates are and what some of those challenges are and dial it in. And I love to see it when that happens. You know, I think some manufacturers have done a good job bringing some features out and they haven't really maybe pushed them. But I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of it. There's some very powerful software on the market today, Frank. That's very easy to tune in and dial in as opposed to 
writing something down in your notebook, running back to the shop, making an adjustment, and then heading back out to the field. I mean, if it can be done on your telephone, then you can have several people out on the golf course fine-tuning the irrigation system and updating your software. So this is interesting. I'm going back to what you actually said to me early on that's coming to me now. Mm -hmm. You said we haven't always made central control systems very user-friendly. Yeah. So maybe my perception of not using the technology is that the companies developing them haven't made them very straightforward. I know I get a little dizzy sometimes looking at these platforms. Yeah. They don't appear as user-friendly as maybe they could be. Is that a fair statement as well? And, and I guess you're telling me they're getting better. I think that's a very fair statement. And I think you start to understand it now where you can simply on a map on your phone, click on a head and bring up all those characteristics of that area and make some adjustments. And then one thing too, Frank, is for many years, golf courses were treated like just green teas, fairways, rough and miscellaneous areas. And now superintendents can basically have an unlimited palette of descriptors for sprinklers on the golf course. Right. Like, for example, they might call it a rescue head on a green or an out-of-pattern head on a green. And they can see those heads and adjust just those heads without having to sort through four or five sprinklers on each green multiplied by 18, 19, 20 greens. Okay. Do you feel like you failed when a golf course relies on hand-watering? No. I used to feel that way. I don't. <laughs> I thought you felt that way. I remember talking to you about this once. Yeah, I know. I know. I used to, you know, there's a couple of golf course super tennis that I've worked with, and we would spend, you know, literally an hour on the green, hour or so, getting the heads just right. And I used to joke, why are we even doing this? You're not even going to turn them on. <laughs> That's right. And, th- and then I used to beg them, just give me a tenth of an inch. All I want is a tenth of an inch. Make up the rest with your hose. But... I really have seen some golf course superintendents take hand-watering to the next level. I wish we could eliminate it, but they really get to know their greens or really get to know those specific areas and what the soils are doing in those areas and, and touching them up. But I've seen a lot of hose dragging this year in the summer of 22. <laughs> yeah, you certainly have. So the answer is we can't design systems for the most discriminating situations. And because we're Rochester lovers, you and I, we'll we'll use Corcoran as an example. You know, the precision that he requires in anticipation of the PGA Championship, you you just don't see the ability for sprinkler heads to do it in that environment, right? That is correct. And then it's further complicated today, Frank, with, you know, back in the day when we used to have round greens and we just had 60-foot spacing and we had a square to cover the green, I could pretty much be very confident about the kind of uniformity that we could apply to the putting surface. With these shapes that we have today and the sizes of these greens, it is very hard to throw 50 gallons a minute across a green and expect uniformity. It's just hard to do. And of course, the other side of this is what about the majority of the other golf courses where, you know, they just don't have the labor resources to hand water You're not saying systems are fundamentally flawed. It's just that for that level of precision, you don't see sprinklers able to do it, but they still can do the job, particularly if you've got a deep-rooted bent grass in a really well-drained system, right? Without a doubt. Absolutely. Because we didn't talk about grass type much, but obviously, you know, you're designing into Bermuda Mm -hmm. systems as well as into cool season grass systems. Yeah. And that's, you know, going to change things a little bit, too. You can dry down bentgrass greens much more than you can shallow-rooted annual bluegrass greens, right? So hand-watering is also going to be dependent on what you're trying to grow. 
Right on, Frank. Absolutely. All right. So listen, let me ask a couple of more uh, crazy technology questions just to get your perspective on it. Mm -hmm. And then and wrap it up with a couple of best practices for guys uh, thinking about getting involved with their irrigation system. And we'll we'll get to that in a second. Mm -hmm. What is your perspective on the potential for subsurface irrigation? You know, I'm looking more and more at it, and I'm, I'm watching what they're doing out west, and they're, they're doing some work in New Mexico and Arizona, and I love to see that. And, you know, we've even just last week, we're contemplating using it, you know, in some of the dew paths, some very narrow areas. Bunker faces is something that people have been doing for several years, even going back to, you know, Bob Feint over there at CCR many, many, many moons ago, as you know. Uh, Rick Holforth is there now. I see some promise, Frank. I mean, obviously, cultivation is the enemy of drip irrigation. That's the only problem that I see, really. And that is an issue. And I know they're trying to get uh, a little bit deeper with subsurface drip so they can take a core out of the soil, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, full disclosure, we worked with Rainbird uh, here in the Northeast on Mm -hmm. a project at the Vineyard Club out in Martha's Vineyard with my former Mm -hmm. graduate student and current Cornell employee, Chris Sitko, putting it in a T at a five-inch depth. Yep. And we met with Berndt at New Mexico State. We had a remote call with him a number of years ago and his team. And, you know, we used what he'd learned and we got the system donated. And I got to tell you, they loved it. And the primary goal out there, Paul, was to reduce fugitive water into the rough. Right? Fugitive water then leads to weeds in these rough areas, thick fescue that then makes it difficult for a ball to be found and worse at the vineyard club they didn't have synthetic herbicides available so we were able to put it at a five inch depth it worked like a charm and one of the things not only did i hear from the guys out there but others who have said yeah i don't like turning it on and not seeing anything (laughs) there's something about seeing a sprinkler pop up paul that has a calming effect on golf course superintendents (laughs) uh and so i've seen guys do some adaptations where they'll put a i don't know what you call it but it's basically a dummy head yeah right i've seen that yes that that lifts up when the system goes on (laughs) so we have seen success but here's my question do we still need two systems there do they still need above ground heads uh, well, I think they need a quick coupler, but uh, mm. I don't know if they need dual systems. I, I couldn't answer that. But well, a lot of things we do today, Frank, and, and I'm not the agronomist. I, I love listening to golf course superintendents and hearing about their challenges and how we can we can work on their challenges. But a lot of it is soil spray, soil spray, soil spray now is washing things in. And if the tees would fall into that category, it's something that they need to on a soil spray program on them, perhaps. Mm. But... I, I would think drip irrigation and then, you know, a quick coupler nearby for either spot watering or for any number of reasons would be sufficient. It's very interesting. The drench applications are critical, right? And and yeah. we certainly do it for uh, root infecting pathogens, right? When we got to get pesticides deep down. I wonder, you know, that's sure. where more research would probably be needed that if you could, if you could wet the profile uh, you know, like drip it all the way so that the water was at like a half an inch yeah. of the surface uh, prior to an application. And then all you had to do was connect it, like yeah. apply it and then connect those two fronts of water. That could work very effectively. All right. L- listen, I want to get back on sort of some practical realm here and go back to what I started about, which is it seems to me that irrigation maintenance has been a very easy thing to defer 
low these last 15 years of not yeah. big expansions in golf, right? Um, mm-hmm. What we call, and Jim Copenhaver at Pellucid Golf calls the COVID end uh, that's mm-hmm. coming through, you know, 20% more golfers than before the pandemic, some as many as 40% more golfers than before the pandemic. They're coming into money. And yeah. now they're looking back at deferred maintenance uh, instead of maybe adding on to the clubhouse again. They're looking at deferred maintenance. Irrigation is at the top of the list. You got a 20-year-old system. You said it's either going to rust out or wear out. You got a 20-year-old system. You got mm-hmm. a smattering of issues from mm-hmm. uh, this pump to this head to these valves to these isolations. You know, the things that happen in 20 years of deferring it. Where do you begin trying to assess something like that to tell your members or your whoever's fronting it, uh, give me this amount of money so I can bury it in the ground. You know, my favorite, my favorite sales pitch, give me $2 million so I can bury it in the ground. So where do they start, Paul, when they're facing that kind of a situation with a consultant like you, where do you start with these guys? So I run into this all the time, visiting a friend who had a 20 year old system last week and we start with an irrigation system evaluation just to kind of get some eyes on an irrigation system, see what can be done to extend the life of the system, you know, identify any really problematic areas, kind of put together a cost estimate to make, you know, immediate repairs and maybe get a club on either a preventive maintenance or repair and replace program. And if they need to start working towards a master plan. Irrigation systems are so expensive today, Frank, and uh, it still shocks me to see some of the, the numbers. And it's, it's like you said, you know, you're going to bury it, so it's difficult. It's not sexy. So they really should put together a plan. What I always hate to see is someone has spent some good money trying to do something that will not be part of a future irrigation system. I always hate to see that. And, and that happens more times than not. A good example is, you know, maybe upgrading an old control system when your irrigation system is really in need of replacement, because it's pretty unlikely that you're going to be putting satellite controllers back in the ground today as the industries move towards two-wire systems. Yeah. Pump stations are usually one of those items, Frank. They're expensive. They're big. They're, you know, essentially the heart of the irrigation system. And often that's a good place to start. Same thing on pump stations, though. I see an awful lot of people replace pumping stations before the master plan. Mm. The pump station wasn't designed to handle a larger station, Frank, greater Mm -hmm. flow. And greater flow does not mean more water. Mm -hmm. Greater flow means you can put water down in a shorter period of time. Uh, Ultimately, you might save water because you can close your water window down. All right. So listen, I love this. I love your prioritization of a master plan, of some sort of strategic thinking. And I watched uh, the British Open this weekend, uh, maybe mm-hmm. like you did, and many other golf fans might have done that. And, you know, you see, you can almost, with the aerial shots, where they're watering and where they're not, right? It's very clear mm-hmm. where they're watering, where they're not. And, of course, you know, a number of years ago, the USGA at Pinehurst did this sort of exhibition with the men and the women down there of very dry conditions, much like, you know, we just saw at the British Open. And when you are doing strategic plans nowadays— And you're Mm -hmm. coming to golf courses that, you know, are at a point where, boy, we don't have to do A-plus country club conditions. We can do B conditions. Maybe we should go to a single row down the middle system. Are you seeing some of this pivoting to the standard boilerplate, $2 million, wall-to-wall, all the heads, tight spacing, 
versus the more maybe practical and calibrated to that golfing community uh, center row system. And, and I'm talking primarily about fairways, right? What do you think about that? So uh, you said a lot there, Frank. A couple things. First, single row is just a bad idea. <laughs> just a flat-out bad idea. It's a bad idea. I mean, we, we morphed out of that. So at Pinehurst, it's a bad idea. Oh, it, I, I believe it is. Okay. <laughs> I believe it is. I believe they did better served to go with two rows and maintaining good uniformity and still get that taper out effect. Right. But when you're using 50, 60-gallon-minute sprinkler heads and you're head-to-head, you create those pies. We've all seen it before. It's yeah, just yeah. basic water distribution uniformity. It's problematic. But if you can create a nice, even grid through the middle of the fairway and have it taper out. I'm all in favor of that. Okay. I actually like that look. I'm not necessarily a three, four, five, back-to-back, you know, sprinkler kind of guy. I like that look. Okay. I think it's good. But you at least have a good shot of maintaining good uniformity actually on the playing surface. Right, down the middle, right? Down, down the, the middle. middle. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm so glad. This is this is great. I would expect an irrigation person of so. your ilk yeah. to, uh, and that's why I'm saving it really here at the end. So, yeah. so, so I think that you're getting to the point that I think we're seeing this year, and we're going to have to maybe get used to. You know, not everybody's going to be, you know, Steve at Wingfoot and Jeff at yeah. Oak Hill and yeah. all the guys on Long Island, all you know, yep. where where you're used to here up in the Northeast or mm-hmm. even in the Chicagoland area, Skokie sure. Country Club, North Shore, you name it, where the rough is fully irrigated. It's Parkland Golf and, you know, they don't want it to burn up. But I go to other places, pretty high end joints, too, that are opting to let the rough go. And I like what you said about it bleeding off to the side. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing some clubs uh, embracing oh, yeah. that? Are you finding that that is catching on a little bit? Absolutely, Frank. I don't think there's been you know hardly a place I ever go to where we don't take the flags out and we space it and we look at the different scenarios and we look at what is, let's call it, effective coverage, what you can expect to be green and where you expect the taper to feather out towards the rough and into some native areas and let the client make the decision on what they think is right for them. I think a lot of people are afraid to make that move, perhaps, just because they don't want to put a new irrigation system in and be like, hey, wait a second. No, why is it brown over there? Yeah. But green season fairways, <laughs> I, I like that approach. But I, I also understand that there's a level of, you know, there's a, there's a certain clientele that wants that green, lush, thick look that you talked about. And uh, so there's, there's two sides of the coin there. The irrigation systems, though, Frank, Today, without a pump station, they're over $3 million. Yeah. You know, they're not $2 million. So anymore. that's what I was going to get to, Paul. Let me ask you this then. Let's say I, I do this plan where I really try to irrigate down the middle yeah. and I, I might irrigate some rough that's clearly yeah. in play, uh, like, you know, where it's going to, where it might need to really be green. But how much money does that save me when I'm not irrigating? Likely the biggest single land mass on a golf course. Yeah. So don't hate me for throwing a number out there, but Go golf courses that have done three-row systems, Frank, and they've added part outs, right? So they can do on the fairway, off the fairway. And in some of those areas, we do that because, you know, water regulations come down and they say, thou shalt not water roughs. Yeah. Now what? So they have those back-to-backs because of that reason. And typically, you're adding around $200,000, $250,000 to put in those back-to-backs or put the extra set of heads in, if you will, to go from a three-row to a five-row. And those are real dollars, but 
The thing is, you have to get the pipe there anyway. Yeah. On a two-wire system, it's just an extension of a two-wire cable, and you've got to have the shutoff valve anyway. So it is not exponential or even linear uh, in terms of price. It's substantially less than you would think. I'll get you out of here on this. You, like me, have been working with golf course superintendents for the better part of 40 years now, right? And Mm -hmm. they've changed a lot uh, with their expertise, and and they've gotten so much, you know, more technically savvy. Mm -hmm. There are two things that still linger as not being as savvy as I'd like them to be. One is they don't spray with always the latest technology, you know, the application equipment, and irrigation. In your mind, as a group of professionals— are we getting better about managing these irrigation systems and getting them out of first gear? Is it a generational thing? Is it a regional thing? I'm really liking you to end up here on the sort of the status of golf course superintendents and their ability to manage these irrigation systems. Yeah, well, uh, you know, a lot of respect for golf course superintendents. They have so much to deal with today. Yeah, no question about it. You know, labor and what have you. But I don't see generational at all. I see some great superintendents. I would say, you know, uh, you know, an older generation superintendents that are really embracing technology and are showing me a few tricks, you know, uh, once in a while <laughs> on their phones and stuff. So I, I really enjoy seeing that. But I do think the manufacturers, you know, the Rainbirds and the Toros of the world, for example, are building better tools for golf course superintendents to get it in the palm of their hands, to give them the power to do things without being dedicated to a central control system. And that's what you used to have to do in the, it, back in the day. You would have to be, your primary focus would have to be irrigation. And now, if they have a fleeting thought that they need to adjust the sprinkler head or address any of their out-of-pattern greens head, it's so easy to do with a keystroke. So um, I think technology is really helping everyone to get a lot better than they used to be, Frank. It's so great chatting with you, Paul. I could go on day after day <laughs> asking <laughs> questions about irrigation systems because it's really the topic of conversation for months and months uh, at different times of the year in different regions. In, in the Northeast, it's water management now. And when I visit the desert Southwest, uh, it's water management in the winter and, and through transitions yeah. uh, when they're overseeding. So I don't see any superintendent not think all the time about water management. And, and I think we're all really fortunate to have a guy like you that we can call on when we have the ability to build master plans and really think through strategically because they can really take advantage of your uh, lifetime of expertise, Paul. I really appreciate you joining me. Pleasure talking to you, Frank. Always enjoy it. All right. Take care now. Bye, right, bud. Golf course water management typically includes the use of wetting agents. And when you want simple, no-nonsense solutions, that's where the plant food company comes in with an array of innovative wetting agents and soil penetrants. These products are tested in university trials and are backed by the pros at the plant food company. Learn more at plantfoodco.com. Big thanks to my old friend, Paul Rosh of Golf Water. Frankly Speaking is brought to you by our friends at Dryject, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends in one pass, the plant food company providing nutrient management solutions to golf course superintendents to enhance playability, and Frost Inc. spray technology products who strive to make your spray day a great day.
You can listen to us on Block Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Frankly Speaking is produced at Rep Studios in downtown Ithaca, New York by Nate Richardson. Big thanks to marketing and business management, John Kiger. Graphic design, Nicole Rossi. Theme music, Tucker Rossi. And executive producer, Peter McCormick. I'm Frank Rossi. Thank you for joining me.